0: Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, back in Happy Valley after a week in Dallas where we saw Penn State win the Cotton Bowl 53-39 over Memphis. Uh, We broke that one down on Saturday after the game, after leaving Jerry World from our hotel room in Dallas. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to that. Uh, I spoke a lot about the game. We're going to move forward here very quickly. um, Much like last year in the aftermath of a a bowl game, we see an assistant coach being uh, moved on from by this program to put it mildly and and last year wasn't necessarily surprising with David Corley this time around it's a staff veteran Matt linegrover four seasons with the team. Offensive line seemingly had its most impressive year out of the four years he has been there, maybe the entire six-year uh, tenure of James Franklin, but uh, Franklin announcing and confirming um, on New Year's Eve that they will be uh, looking for a new offensive line coach. That search is, is well underway at this point. And Sean, as we said, Lime Grover uh, enjoyed talking with him over the years. Uh, he's a guy who always seemed to provide some levity in the conversation as well, seemed well-liked uh, by his players, but... Uh, It's a tough business sometimes, and, and, and they have decided to make a change at a key position on the staff
1: contract not renewed is the official language so to take from that what you will what I take from that is that James Franklin has somebody in mind um, you wouldn't make that move unless you you kind of knew your next uh, step and given what Franklin has done with assistant coaches in the past it seems like you know a, a move that he's made before and a move that he expected to make um, but you're right I mean this was his best year uh, in terms of having an offensive line uh, you know I guess from from start to finish. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of in the same mold as Ricky Ronnie. I mean, if you stuck with Lime Grover, okay, fine. Um, if you stuck with Ronnie, okay, fine, but probably not going to get you where you want to go. And with that contract extension, with that uh, talk of uh, of being a leader, making the championship playoff, um, it really probably wasn't there so uh, I do know that the new guy is going to have some tools to work with they've got five guys coming back with starting experience uh, you know they're gonna have some things to figure out uh, on the two deep gonna have some things to figure out at left guard as well but a uh, pretty good situation for whomever Franklin has in mind to come in and, and take this job
0: and as we discussed last week Sandy Barber ha- had a limited availability down in Texas and one of the things she was asked about Uh, was Franklin's salary pool for his assistant coaching staff. And it's something that she said the number was met, what he needed to do. And you have to imagine that kind of emboldens him a bit as he pursues um, someone new for this staff. And really pretty remarkable. No one is left from that offensive coaching staff in terms of positional coaches from 2017. Joe Moorhead, of course, the offensive coordinator uh, there. Just moments before we come on to record this podcast, we learned that Mississippi State has fired Joe Moorhead after his second season there. Uh, You know, interesting set of circumstances, to say the least. But uh, he left, Charles Huff left, uh, your wide receivers, Coach Gaddis gone, and, and then Corley fired very quickly. And, uh, of course, they ha- they've they added some talent, but Ricky Ronnie, at uh, quarterbacks coach, tight ends coach, and now uh, Matt Leimgrover is gone. So, you know, I think you like what you got in Sider and Parker. Uh, and, and very clearly, Tyler Bowen has done a great job at the tight ends room. But uh, a lot of turnover, a lot of the guys who were recruited to come to campus, uh, you know, they've had to get along with, with some of these uh, new faces in town. And and to juxtapose that, Sean, the entire positional coaching staff on defense is still the same as it was during a 2016 Big Ten championship run.
1: Yeah, you had this stat written down about no positional coaches remain or offensive coaches remain from 2017. That's uh, kind of hard to believe. And then you think about it and you're like, OK, I could, I could see that. But now you get a new coordinator in Kirk Shiraka, who we're going to talk about later in the show with Ryan Burns at Gopher Illustrated, some great stuff from him. Um, but yeah, it seems like an, an ideal time to sort of move on and, and, and see what you can get going. Because, you know, you, you take a look at Penn State's offensive line while they have improved, um, while some guys had pretty good seasons i mean you know, by the end of the year you, you were still back in that same place where you have to block the ohio state i mean it's not it's not about going out and, and running over purdue or, or Pitt or buffalo or something like that you got to get out there you got to block the ohio states of the world and and really you, the next guy he's he's going to have some pieces rasheed walker's got you know at least we're saying at least one more year uh he's a fantastic talent michael mennett's going to be in the running for the Remington next year uh cj thorpe probably played his best game of the of his career in the uh in the cotton bowl so you got some pieces to work with you got some things to work through will fries has to get better obviously left guard's going to be something you got, you got to figure out what you have you know with guys like Caden Wallace and guys like Anthony Wiggin but you have numbers now they're bringing more numbers into the program uh in this signing class you finally are finally going to have maybe uh two close to a three I think 13 scholarship offensive linemen next year so you've got pieces to play with the new guy's going to get in And this is a vital year in in offensive line recruiting 2021. You've got Landon Tengwell. You've got uh, Nolan Rucci, Tristan Lee. I mean, just all over the place. Wyatt Millam down in West Virginia. You've got so much talent in your backyard. You're not going to close on all of them, but you're going to have an opportunity to put together a very good offensive line class. And when I take a look at this class uh, as a whole in 2021, the offensive line uh, outside of quarterback, the offensive line is where it starts for me.
0: Yeah, Nate Bruce uh, on board right now is the lone offensive line commit for that. I always 2021 forget about class. Nate Bruce. That's uh it's <laughs> right the backyard, right? Yeah. He, uh, he Harrisburg I mean, he's very kid. much in the
1: backyard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and his, uh, his offensive line coach, Richard Muldrow, a guy I've brought up before got to know him at Rutgers when, when he was a, a young recruit coming into the college level, he played for Kirk Shiraka at Rutgers and then also at, at, uh, at his next stop down in Richmond. So, um, you know, it, he, you know, he loved the hire, you know, and I, and I think that that bodes well for Nate Bruce uh, and we'll, we'll see, See what happens with this offensive line coach hiring? But we got some pretty immediate reaction from Landon Tengwall, uh, courtesy of Brian Doan, who was down in Orlando for the Future 50 event at the Under Armour All America event. And you know, Landon has always handled. We talked about this before. One of the most mature kids I, I've ever spoken with, and, that, and that's going back to halfway through his freshman year when Penn State made him the first offensive line target on their 2021 board. And you know, his reaction, and, and he seems to be a guy right now. He's got the top three: Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame. But I think a lot of us uh, like where Penn State is with Landon Tengwall and again handling that pretty well. Saying you know he, he didn't get a lot of, of closeness with offensive coordinators. Notre Dame just just released their offensive coordinator, part of ways with Chip Long, uh, but but he says the offensive line coaches are, are the most meaningful relationships. However, he does understand you you know you could come to campus and the guy could be there for four or five years with you, or he could be gone a few weeks later, and and so. You know, it, I think a very level-headed response from him. I don't think losing Matt Limegrover, I guess we should say, uh, moving on from Matt Limegrover is going to, to to necessarily throw everything for a loop with this offensive line cat class, but you're going to have to reestablish relationships. We know Kirk Scirocco, even down in Texas, w- was working the phones a bit, trying to, to you know match faces to names and, and and get his profile out there with Penn State recruits. It's going to be important for the next guy to come in and hit the ground running in that regard. But, Sean, he is not going to inherit anything any kind of reclamation project. You mentioned a few of those names there even though you're losing Steven Gonzalez, a guy who's been in the starting lineup since 2016, five returning starters. If you factor in you, you had a split situation with CJ Thorpe, Mike Miranda at the right guard spot. Des Holmes played a lot of football at the tackle position, although he was not a starter. And then you've got the three red shirt players who were just four star prospects last class and, and Wormley Wallace and Wiggins. So, you know, we, we know they have a big, uh, big class coming in on the offensive line, five guys in total. Um, again, the, It's it's a pretty good spot in terms of talent that you can take right away, and and guys who have significant experience in Big Ten matchups.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty to work with. And going back to what Tangwell said, uh, you you know, you've got an opportunity to to build on that and and just sort of make this the centerpiece of your class. He was a big fan of Tyler Bowen, and Tyler Bowen's the reason where Penn State is with him in that recruitment right now. I don't think Bowen's going to be the guy. I don't think he's. I know he's got some uh, offensive line coach experience. He's going to be. You know, he, he he was the offense obviously. The offensive coordinator in the Cotton Bowl, um, but I don't think that uh, you know it's going to. That's going to be the move. I think that Franklin had something in mind. I don't think it's just hiring a, a guy to to plug in at tight ends coach and moving Bowen over. I know Bowen uh, probably has has earned some of that upward trajectory, whether it's another title or something like that, but he's done a nice job with the tight ends. I think you can keep him there. You can bring in an offensive line coach. There's been some names floated out there. Um, you know, it's, it's so tough to say because Franklin keeps such a, a, a lid on it. Harry Heestand has, was just let go by the Bears. Uh, Phil Troutwine at Boston College, a name that has come up quite a few times. So you, you've got options. Um, uh, like I said, there's, this was, this just seems like a plan for Franklin. I mean, it doesn't. It's not one of those things that uh, you know. Just all of a sudden, he got to the end of the year and said, "Hey, this is uh, this is just not working out." Matt's been here for a long time. Matt's a nice guy. i are gonna move on. This seems like something that he has in order. Now you've got the uh, AFCA convention next week down in Nashville. So is it is it one of those situations where this stretches out? Maybe interviews a few guys, or or at least you know, talks to a few guys to keep in his memory bank for later down the stretch. But this seems like a, a move that Franklin had in mind for, for a while now and really just seemed to, 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 to put it in motion with the end of the season.
0: Yeah, thanks. I totally bypassed his comments on Bowen in, in terms of Tangwall because he did say he'd love to see Tyler Bowen get that offensive line position. As you said, uh, you know, we'll see where they go there. But uh, interesting to say that Bowen uh, and Limegrover were the two kind of centerpiece uh, recruiters at the earliest stages of Tangwall's recruitment. We're talking about you know ninth grade, even you know before high school. This is a kid who was on the radar, uh, and it was Maryland and, and Penn State pretty early on because of some camps he was at. Um, so they still do have. A- a really strong uh, recruiting ace up their sleeve with Tyler Bowen and working with um, you know working with um, Tangwall, who is a five-star talent, and I, and I think he's every bit of that five-star talent. Sean uh, Matt Limegrover will not be part of the Penn State equation in 2020, nor will KJ Hamler. Led the team in receiving each of the last couple of years, has two more years of eligibility. He chooses not to use them, and he is off to the 2020 NFL Draft.
2: Yep,
1: that's, uh, that's one we've been waiting on for a while. We said it after the Cotton Bowl. KJ looked like a guy that he was on his way out just emotionally after the game. Um, and this is going to change some things for Penn State, no doubt about it. Obviously, they wanted to keep him. He's the leading receiver, was really the centerpiece of that passing game, which obviously has to get much better without him in 2020. would have had to get better with him in 2020. Um, but yeah, Hamler to the NFL. This is one breaking down the decision. Uh, you know, I think it's. I, I said it before. I think of the guys that were waiting to decide. I think he probably had the least to gain by coming back. He's going to come out. Uh, he's going to go to the combine. He's going to run really well. Speed is such an an important attribute at the pro level, and teams will move guys up their draft. And, and you know, for lack of a better term, they'll reach on speed rather than you know some some of the some of the other guys that we've seen. That's why you know uh, Deshaun Hamilton fell and Chris Godwin. People still think he's not fast. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's been an interesting development for KJ. Uh, you know, he is a slot guy all the way, but there's a place for them in the NFL now. I mean, you look at where Marquise Brown went last year, and, you know, he's not the same guy, but, you know, he's, he's a little guy. He's a fast guy. He can run routes. Uh, I, I think KJ will have to prove that he can be as sharp as some of those other slot guys in, in the draft. But, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense from a standpoint of of, of KJ probably not going to improve his draft stock a lot uh you're going to probably see him in the second round which you know it's uh that's a pretty good uh testament to to how far he's come since he got onto campus of course he arrived with the knee injury he's had some injury history so i'm sure that went into the decision as well but i can't begrudge kj for going to the nfl i think it's probably if we're going to you know call it down the middle it's probably the right call for him
0: K.J. Hamler set the all-purpose freshman record for Penn State uh, last year. Uh, obviously, Penn State now needs to replace him as a punt returner, as a kick returner as well. Uh, for his career, 98 receptions, 1,658 yards, 13 touchdowns in 26 games. Uh, and and from his first game on, I remember, Sean, that Appalachian State was about to blow the world up in, in Beaver Stadium, and K.J. comes up with a huge kickoff return and the final drive and catches a touchdown pass that ties it from Trace McSorley. And, you know, from there on, he was a vocal point of this offense. And, uh, but, but let's face it, as you said, there, there's a lot to work on with or without KJ Hamler as a part of this equation. Uh, We had a conversation on the message board following our last podcast. uh, And, you know, he led the team in catches last year, uh, and his total would have been fifth best on the team in 2017. So, you know, he led the team in catches this year again, but but then you look at the rest of the room, and let's quickly do that. It's not a pretty picture. KJ is gone. You lose Dan Chisena and Weston Carr, a couple players who, who both came on scholarship uh, as as seniors. Chacena, obviously a former walk-on. Weston Carr, a former Division II All-American. They both caught three passes apiece this year. So who's left in this room? Jahan Dotson. Forty career catches, 691 yards, five touchdowns. Any guess who has the second most receptions after that, Sean?
1: Uh among the receivers. Oh, that's tough because uh sticking to receivers. Sticking to receivers. Let's go with uh let's go with Cam Sullivan Brown.
0: Boom. A whopping dozen catches
1: for 105 yards. He's
0: number two in the room. Behind him, Daniel George, 11 catches, 212 yards, one touchdown, 95 of those yards, and a touchdown against Kent State in 2018. Matt Kippenhammer, seven receptions, 118 yards, one touchdown. And then Justin Weather, walk on, one catch, 10 yards. That's it in terms of college production among players that we anticipate will be in this room. We'll see what the transfer portal does, but you sign five wide receivers. You got two redshirt freshmen, TJ Jones, John Dunmore. Someone's got to step in. They're going to have to maybe be aggressive on the transfer market. We shall see. They went after George Campbell, a former five-star recruit last year, ended up in West Virginia. Um, don't know what route they'll go, but Jared Parker, uh, Kirk Shiraka, they've got their work cut out for them. And we talked on Saturday what Kirk Shiraka's offense produced in terms of the passing game at Minnesota. Two 1,100-yard one, two 1, receivers. Both those guys caught 11 touchdowns. And then you had a third receiver catch five touchdowns. So stark contrast to what he is uh, walking into uh, in lash building right now.
1: Yeah, it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. And uh, I don't think that uh you know, you've got five guys coming in. Uh maybe two of those guys are ready, maybe three if Norval Black is it can it can adjust to uh the college game pretty fast. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's a tall order for for Jared Parker and Kirk Shiraka. Uh, You know, I don't know if this changes the offense, if we see more tight ends, if we see more running backs or anything like that. But it ain't pretty. A lot of it's on Jahan Dotson. I think he's going to move into the slot uh, and do some things in there. I think he's capable of doing that. He's done some, some really nice things, scored a really nice touchdown in the Cotton Bowl. Um, But uh, yeah, man, that's uh, that's tough. I mean, you mentioned the transfer portal a couple of times there. It's no longer taboo to sit back and, you know, say, hey, we're going to go look at what's out there. I think you have to, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it's a, it, that that's one of the spots that you need to look at, and there's a couple spots on your roster. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and and the transfer portal, I think there's a little bit more out there this year. I mean, it was kind of weird last year because all all you had was backups, and all you had was were, were these uh, sort of bit players going from uh, being second or third string at one spot to second or third string at another spot, with the exception of just a few. Um, this year, I think you're going to probably see more guys looking to move up, more guys uh, that and not not saying that that there's going to be a ton out floating, out floating out there, but you're going to have the opportunity to go after a few more guys. And if you're Penn State, you got to sell what you've got, and you've got open spots. I mean, obviously Daniel George is coming back, but I don't know that he's got a spot locked down. Dotson would be in my mind the only guy that, that has a spot locked down. So uh, we'll see where that goes with this. But it ain't pretty. He's got uh, a lot of work to uh, a lot of work for this coaching staff ahead of him. A lot of work for those those other guys to, to come back. Really interested to see where Cam Sullivan-Brown is. Looked good in limited time last year. Broke his foot against Maryland. We didn't see him again. Uh, he was down at the bowl game. He was uh, seemed to be moving around okay. Don't even know if he'll be back for the spring. But, uh, yeah, there's just uh, not a ton of options. And, really, just for this passing game, which struggled down the stretch with K.J. Hamler, for them to move into the spring, for them to move into the summer, uh, with the improvement that you hope to see from Sean Clifford with, with, under Kirk Shiraka, man, that's a, that's a long way to go until 2020.
0: Now that we've got all of our listeners bummed out, uh, just a a friendly reminder that they do bring back... Arguably the best tight end in the country, and Pat Fryermuth, and boy, does that does that look bigger and bigger every day that he decided not to to take that early exit to the NFL uh, for this offensive attack. And by the way, uh, they can I think they can really point to what Kirk Charaka has accomplished, most notably this year, if they're going to go that transfer portal market. I think it, if you've got a, a kid who's got one more year eligibility, and he were to look at the the stat sheet for Penn State in the last couple of years, may not look all that appealing. Kirk Shiraka, though, I mean, it adds a new spin to the situation, I'd imagine. Uh, Meanwhile, in terms of the comings and goings in in the NFL draft, we already knew that Yitor Gross Matos uh, was headed to the NFL, continue to see him projected as a first-round pick in in the mock drafts that are coming out. I don't think what he's going to accomplish in a combine situation will will hurt him any bit, and I think he helped himself in the bowl game, but this defense will be retaining a a starter, Tariq Castro-Fields, a cornerback who stepped into a starting role this year, has played a lot of football since his true freshman year 37 games in a Nittany Lions
1: uniform he's sticking around for his senior season yep and that's uh that's bigger than people think I saw a lot of uh Venom kind of spewed at Tariq Castro Fields for the year that he had, and let me say first, I mean that was not the year that he expected. It's not the year that anybody expected. He also wasn't as bad as you think he was. Uh, I think Tariq Castro Fields, as much as anybody, probably victimized by the poor safety play by Penn State. So not a great year, uh, a solid year. Probably, like I said, more solid than people will want to give him credit for. But he's experienced. He's going to come back. Uh, He's going to, you know, be a leader in that in that cornerback room, which has some young talent. We'll see if that. That cornerback room remains intact uh, maybe you move somebody over to say maybe a Trent Gordon heads over to safety or something like that for the spring maybe you experiment with one of the young guys moving over um, but Castro fields coming back is, is is gonna go a long way for the secondary which obviously has to improve I mean I'm not saying any I'm not saying they were great not saying they were um, you know uh, I guess good even especially by the end of the season you give up 450 yards to Memphis through the air um, but no I think it's a, it'll go a long way in that stability you get him back you get Lamont way back who I'm not sure if he's going to do, uh, do one of these graphics or announcements but yeah, you know he's expected back to get half your secondary back anytime you can do that is fine then you got guys like Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson especially who stepped up at the end of the season see what you've got in there replacing John Reed uh, isn't going to be an easy thing based on his experience but at the same time, you've got a lot of talent coming in, especially in the younger ranks.
0: Tariq Castro-Fields back in uh, 2017 was one of three true freshmen to get on the football field. Remember, that's before the new redshirt rule. It was him, Ytor Grossmados, and Lamont Wade. We think two of those will be back in town for their final seasons in a Penn State uniform. Um, 52 tackles. 10 pass breakups, two interceptions for Tariq Castro field this year uh, as a first year starter, all career highs. Um, Yeah. You mentioned that, that cornerback room and, and you know, Terry Smith was, was lighting up when we were talking about those freshmen later in the season. And and you can kind of see why uh, over the course of the year, Uh, the names you mentioned, Daquan Hardy was making some noise during bowl game preparation. James Franklin identified him as a guy who was finishing strong. Um, And then additionally, we've, we've mentioned it before. I still think Joseph Johnson, if you're, if you're looking around this recruiting class, for an impact defensive back. He's the one that I think maybe comes in and and, and can make an impact like those guys did as true freshmen. And by the way, Joey Porter Jr. um, Whenever we got a chance to see him on the field, you know, if he can put it together, he's got a big offseason ahead. You got to like what he brings to the football field as well. They don't lack for talent. They lack for experience, but Tariq Castro Fields uh, is going to bring back some accountability and, you know, he's going to have to step up to a a larger leadership role because while he was not a vocal guy, John Reed, uh, you know, he was certainly someone who held players accountable by the way he conducted his business during his five years in town and and he's moving on to try his shot at the pros.
1: I'm looking at Marquise Wilson, and I really like the way the kid plays. He's he's tough, he's scrappy. Will allow them to play some man a little bit more man than they they played this year. So curious to see how he develops, uh, not only as a player, not only as a guy that's going to learn. And he's a little, he's about a year older than some of his classmates with uh, with Ellis and Porter and those guys. But I mean, he's just uh, he's got something to him, and he's got some swagger, which you really haven't seen a ton of. I mean, John Reed's always been quiet confidence. Tariq Castro-Field's quiet confidence, Amani the same way last year, you really haven't heard as much. I think Marquise Wilson will be that guy that runs his mouth, will be that guy that uh, you know takes chances and makes plays. And so far, he's made a couple of them already. I think tied for the team lead with uh, interceptions, had a really good one in the Cotton Bowl. So really interested to see if Marquise Wilson is the guy on the other side of Castro-Fields, because if he is, I think they're they're going to be in good shape.
0: So one starter coming back on defense, another leaving, and we're waiting to find out about one more draft-eligible player who could come back that Shaka Tony mentioned uh, after the Cotton Bowl, had a chance to speak with him in the locker room, uh, certainly sounded much more uh, enthused about possibly coming back than, than KJ Hamler did really at any point in the, in the last few weeks. And um, you know, if he comes back, we said that, that, is, that is very important because as much as you like that young talent in the defensive end room, uh you know are you ready to to throw those guys really you know on the field for those kind of significant reps and and unfortunately you know Shane Simmons Daniel Joseph guys who have been on campus for a while and um you know both came in w- w- with pretty good prospect uh, hype and uh, to this point you haven't really flashed the ability to to be full time starters now they haven't gotten there Shane Simmons has dealt with injuries but um you know if Shaka Tony leaves i think all of a sudden we go from the, let's put it this way the defensive end room uh that complexion really changes with him out of there and, and if he's back i think that's one of those set it and forget it situations at defensive end with him and and you'll take as many of those as you can get across your starting lineup
1: yeah no doubt um and, and this is another spot I and mean, we talk about how talented defensive ends are but why not take a look at the transfer portals uh, quincy Rocher was mm. the aaf uh player of the year or aac sorry i get my aac yeah um <laughs> I get my uh, conferences mixed up sometimes, even if that's a conference. Anyway, I'm rambling, uh, but yeah, Quincy Roche is a guy that a phenomenal player at Temple. He's looking to move up and, and improve his draft status. Why not give him a shot? Uh, I think Penn State certainly is is, is interested. It's got it, it, to me. It's more about numbers right now. You got to figure out what you're going to do. You can't just uh, sell out on one guy. Um, you know, when you're taking a look at receivers as well. You just signed 27. It's gonna come down to the initial counters. You're counting back. It's all it's all numbers. It's all crazy. But uh, yeah, I could see that being a, a route that Penn State takes. But also, you're getting Adisa Isaac back. I spoke with Sean Spencer after the Cotton Bowl. Very excited about Adisa Isaac. Very excited about the progress that Jason Alway made as well. So you've got bodies there. You it, it's about taking that next step. And we just keep going back to this at every position. It's about taking what you have and, and just adding to it, adding to that competition level. And that's gonna that's gonna make your whole room better. So we'll see where Penn State goes goes with it uh, regardless of whether or not Shaka Tony comes back, but you've got an opportunity for guys to step up. You want to improve that pass rush. You want to improve them playing against the run, which they did, you know, they did really well this year. Um, so it's uh, be interesting to see what Shaka decides. I, I still think that, you know, it's probably from a draft status, from a football status, you know, he could, he could gain a lot by coming back, but I would understand why he would go. He is one of those ones I believe that has his, uh, has his degree already.
0: Yeah. I hate to, poke your nose in people's personal decisions especially as important as this is for, for these young men uh, but I think to your point uh, compared to KJ Hamler for example he seems like uh, there, there's a lot of motivation to come back put together a strong uh, another strong college campaign and, and build his case and uh, if, if I'm not mistaken uh, you know, KJ entered a pretty loaded wide receiver uh, draft I, I don't exactly know where teams are going to see Shaka 3-4 um, outside linebacker uh, maybe some many will see him with his hand in the dirt, but, but I, you know, this is a pretty good edge rusher class from what I've gathered, uh, where you have a lot of time to hear from all the draft, uh, draft experts. And, uh, but, but yeah, that's, it's a tall task to jump into a group like this. We know, you know, we know even you tour may, may be pushed to, 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 get there in the first round, uh, because of, of, of what is, is going on at the edge rusher position here in the 2020 draft class. So, you know, things to think about there and, um, but, yeah, we'll we'll stay tuned and, and maybe by the time people listen to this, we'll have an answer from Shaka. Uh, he, he had suggested, you know, it, it would take him a little bit of time. He had more conversations to have. And at this point, you know, him, uh, Lamont Wade, as you said, you know, we're still waiting on some of these graphics to come out. But uh, to this point, kind of has worked out how we thought with KJ and Ytor Gross Matos moving on. Uh, we're going to move on. We'll have a conversation in just a second with Ryan Burns, who covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for 24-7 sports. We had him on leading up uh, to the matchup in November, and he's going to break down Kirk Sharaka, the success he had at Minnesota, what he'll bring to Penn State, what he could do for Sean Clifford in that receiver room potentially. Uh, stay tuned for that conversation, but first a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.
3: For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
1: He was a hit when we had him on during the season. Now we're bringing him back for another round. Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated. Ryan, it's great to have you back on the show.
2: Yeah, appreciate you having me back on all the way out here from Minnesota.
1: Minnesota, he just had a f- uh, fantastic trip to Tampa for an Outback Bowl win for the Gophers. You've really done a great job covering Minnesota all season long, uh, no exception to the, the week leading up to the game and after the Penn State game in November. But I think w- we're having you on for a different reason. And it's obvious why. Um, Kirk Charaka <laughs> is the new offensive coordinator at Penn State, and first off, to get into it, uh, I think the question everybody has. What do we call him? Do we do we call him KC? Do we call him Coach Rock? Do we call him Coach the Rock? I mean, wh- wh- what are you going by?
2: Yeah, uh, back when he was uh, here in Minnesota, he either went by if you knew him well, he went by Rock, uh, just Rock. There's no Coach Rock. Um, I usually just call him Sharaka. Didn't call him Kirk too much, um, but certainly his nickname amongst the Gopher staff members out here was just Rock, which again, Kirk Sharaka. That's where you get the Rock there in the middle, but I've never heard KC. That'd be a new one. Um, but I think we should probably just stick to Chiraca or, or or rock.
1: Well, he rocked this year at Minnesota, obviously a memorable year for the Gophers. Well, I mean, what did you see from him? I mean, you've been covering him for a couple of years now. What do his offenses bring to the table? I mean, what sticks out to you about a Kirk Sharaka offense?
2: There are essentially three plays. And I know that that sounds incredibly simple. I, I know I'm aware. Trust me. I I hear it all the time, or I heard it a lot over the last three years, but there were three mainstays in a Kirk Scirocco offense, and that is inside zone running, outside zone, and then the RPO game. Now, the thing that makes Kirk Scirocco so tricky and what makes his offense so effective is the way he calls the games, the way he is able to implement different variations of those plays to to really make sure that uh, his offense can move the ball. But I would Highly anticipate whoever Penn State does hire as an offensive line coach, they're going to be someone well-versed well, well versed in the zone running scheme because that is what Minnesota has done, and that's what Kirk Scirocco has done at Western Michigan, at Minnesota. So you're going to see a lot of zone blocking. Then you're going to see two plays that are, again, in the passing game that are going to seem incredibly simple to defend. But I just watched Tyler Johnson, uh, Minnesota's receiver, put up 12 catches for 204 yards and two touchdowns. And essentially, he just ran slants and he ran posts. It's not the most difficult route in the world. It really isn't. But the way that you need to have this offense succeed, you need to have great route runners is because that's how these receivers get open on these more simple, simple type of routes is you need to be a great route, great, right, great route runner. Excuse me there. You need to be able to create separation. That's what his system thrives on. Now, I'll also be curious to see how much of a running quarterback comes into play. Because at Minnesota, they've had Tanner Morgan um, in years two and three here. At year one, they didn't really have a a great quarterback there. But using the quarterback in that RPO game, the run-pass option, is Penn State's version of Kirk Scirocco's offense going to have a running quarterback? I'm going to be very curious to see because they need to be able to keep that defensive end honest. Because if that defensive end is just going to crash in on the running back every time, you're going to have one two-yard gains that's not going to help you. But if he can be able to implement and try to have his quarterbacks run a little bit more, I know that was something that he really wanted to implement here at Minnesota was having the quarterback be a threat with his legs, maybe just taking the ball three to five times a game. It's not a lot. He doesn't want to put a lot of wear and tear on the body, but it's a very simple offense. A lot of zone running, a lot of RPO and a lot of slants
1: wear and tear on the offense, uh, spe- specifically at quarterback Sean Clifford, end of the year. Um, you know, it was pretty obvious that he was injured from from running so much. I mean, is this a, a situation where over the last couple of years you've seen Shiraka play to the personnel? I mean, is that really what he's all about is playing to the personnel? And to follow up on that, you and I talked a little bit off air before about using the tight end, which he didn't do at Minnesota, but he's got a pretty darn good one here at Penn State. I mean, how, how do you see him adjusting to personnel versus, you know, just going in with his own scheme?
2: That's going to be the question. Now, I've seen it firsthand that Chiraca will fit the, I always get this wrong, he fits his scheme to the players in terms of he makes sure that what he's calling is going to be to their strengths and he's not just going to try to jam square pegs into round holes. That's not how Kirk Chiraca operates. But as I mentioned off air here, I am incredibly curious to see how Chiraca implements Pat Fryermuth. Because Minnesota's passing game to the tight end over essentially the Sharaka's entire three years here was non existent. I believe in 2018, Minnesota threw to their tight ends eight times. And this year, it couldn't have been more than 10. And we're talking about Pat Fryermuth, who's going to have 18 catches in two games. I and mean, this is going to be, I think, Kirk Sharaka's thing that he's got to work out uh, with Penn State's head coach there is. How does James Franklin implement to Kirk Sharaka? Hey, we don't have Hamler anymore, so you might want to make Pat Fryermuth the focal point of this offense. So I don't know if that's going to be, they're going to split him out into the slot. They're going to, I'm very, very curious to see what he's able to do there with Fryermuth. That's probably the biggest thing I'm excited to see is this is the best tight end that I believe that Kirk Sharaka's had in his, in his offensive coordinator days that's going to be just something that I will be keeping an eye on here. Very, very, uh, very, very, oh, how do I want to phrase it? I'll be watching with a keen eye on that because Chiraca's offense, it does really fit the players in this game because in year one, Minnesota's offense was dreadful, but they also had dreadful players around them that really couldn't get open. The offensive line couldn't get a lot of push up front. They weren't great moving in space. Now in year three this past year, that's why Minnesota had so much success is, they had more players that fit to what Chiracca wants to do. Now, Penn State obviously recruits at a higher level than what Minnesota does. They have some higher caliber of athletes. Now it's about refining them into this offense for Kirk.
1: Those wide receivers were among the best Penn State saw all season. Um, how much have they developed during his time there? You talk about um, you know where they stood a couple of years ago versus where they're at now. But these receivers in general... Where was their floor when, uh, when when they got to Minnesota versus where they're at now? I mean, how, how long did that take to sort of click for those guys?
2: Yeah, Minnesota's receiving core when P.J. Fleck and Kirk Shiraka took over in 2017 was dreadful. It was abysmal. It was incredibly mediocre. Minnesota hadn't really had anything going in the passing game for since Eric Decker, which was back 10, 15 years ago. And Tyler Johnson was a freshman on that tw- on that 2017 team that PJ Fleck took over, and he was like fourth string wide receiver. And now he's leaving here um, after a spectacular bowl game as the all time leader in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. He's second all time in uh, in catches. And you look at what Minnesota has been able to do these last two years. Tyler Johnson is 2018 season. His 2019 season. Uh, they're top number one and number three all-time for single-season receiving yards. Rashad Bateman's 2019 season is number two all-time for single-season receiving yards. They know what they're doing in terms of being able to develop wide receivers. Now, I'll say I'll say this. Kirk wasn't incredibly involved with the wide receiver development, but where I trust Kirk is with quarterbacks. Kirk Scirocco knows what he's looking for in quarterback recruiting, and that's the biggest thing that Essentially, the only thing he was tasked with in recruiting was he was the quarterback recruiter. And I look at some of the guys that Minnesota wasn't able to land, um, but guys like Max Duggan, who is this true freshman starter at TCU, Hank Bachmeyer, true, true freshman starter at Boise State, um, a kid by the name of Holton Ayers at ECU, who was a true freshman starter. All these guys that Minnesota was tremendously interested in were turned out to be true freshman starters for their team. And that doesn't always happen with some of the guys that uh, you go after a quarterback. And even you look at what he's done with Tanner Morgan here. Tanner Morgan didn't have any other power five options when he was going to go to Western Michigan. And then the day before he was supposed to enroll on campus for an early enrollee, he flips to Minnesota. And now he was second team, all Big Ten. Chiraca knows how to develop quarterbacks. That I trust. That I know. I've seen it firsthand. Now I'm going to be curious with the way that he's going to be able to go after these higher caliber of quarterbacks, how does Kirk Scirocco continue to develop those quarterbacks? And how does he adjust to being able to recruit quarterbacks at the highest level he's ever been able to do that at? But if if there's one thing I could stress to your audience is trust Scirocco with quarterback development. I think he's proven it pretty well. Uh, For those who don't know, Joe Flacco, who was his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Delaware, It was Kirk Shiraka. I mean, he's coached NFL guys before and he's turned these lower star guys into very solid and very productive uh, college quarterbacks. And I expect him to do the same at Penn State.
1: Well, you saw Penn State this year. Of course, Sean Clifford expected to be the starter next year. But, I mean, it's kind of a, a similar skill set to what he wants to run or what he has run in the past on offense. Uh, where did you see the biggest strides from Tanner Morgan? I mean, maybe not just, you know, throw, you know, as a, as a physical thrower or an athlete or anything like that. What did you see in terms of progressions, in terms of his grasp of the, of the offense and how far that came under Chirac in the last, I'd say, year?
2: Sure. Yeah. It took a little bit of time for Tanner to do so. And that's where even we're talking with Rock earlier in the year. The the biggest thing he stressed to the media on a given week was he doesn't want to overload his quarterbacks. He wants to make sure that they eat everything on their figurative plate. And if they eat everything on their plate for that game or for that practice, he's going to add a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day. And as long as they keep finishing their plate, he's going to add more and the quarterback's going to have a little bit more. Um, ability to do different things in the offense. And that's where with Tanner Morgan, as the season went on, he became more comfortable in what he was looking for on certain reads, what he was looking for uh, when he was watching film with Rock. Um, if there's anything, I mean, you saw it firsthand, these Penn State fans did when Kirk Sharaka has a couple of weeks to game plan, he's going to feel pretty confident of what he's doing. That's why Minnesota was able to move the ball so effectively against the Nittany Lions was, That's something that Chiracca talked about um, a couple of days after was he while the rest of his staff was out recruiting. He was in watching a ton of Penn state film, developing a game plan and making sure that Tanner Morgan was fully prepared when they started to implement things that next week. And, and that's where I just think that the relationship between him and the quarterback is very, very important. It's very important for rock and it's very important for the quarterback to be on the same page. Now, I don't anticipate, unless something changes, uh, Menace, or excuse me, Penn State allowing their quarterback in this offense to do a lot of checks. Now, Shiraka well, is going to be the one checking things from the from the press box up there, but it'll be a lot of look over to the sidelines to see if Rock wants to check to something else or if he wants to stick in that play call. So, as Clifford and Shiraka's relationship starts to develop here this spring, that's one thing to notice. How much does Schrock continue to put on the plate of Clifford each day in practice? And then as you watch the 2020 season unfold, how do you see his responsibilities get bigger?
1: From watching Minnesota, they didn't seem married to any sort of personnel groupings. You know, a lot of 11 personnel with the three fantastic wide receivers that they had, but they also did some things with some some overloading, some uh, unbalanced line stuff. Is there a you know, you don't want to nail down tendencies based off of, of one game, but is there something that you see from that point of view that that you can say, hey, I think he's going to go to Penn State. I think this is something that you can expect from, uh, you know, maybe seeing two tight ends, maybe seeing uh, an overload, uh, maybe going to going to the well a little bit more than than I guess you typically would.
2: Yeah, I, again, I, I don't pretend to be incredibly in-depth in knowing what kind of personnel that Penn State has coming back, but I can assure you that What his characteristics are in his offense is 11 personnel. Now, Minnesota's tight end was essentially just a glorified run blocker. That's what he was 95, 98% of the time. Even if he was going out running routes, he was not the first read. That's obviously going to change a Penn State with Friermuth. So that's going to be one of the things that he's going to adapt. But you're going to see a lot of shotgun. I would be very surprised if a majority of that offense wasn't 98% shotgun. I think for the first time all season, yesterday in the Outback Bowl, I saw Minnesota go under center, and that was only for a QB sneak. We don't see a lot of pistol in terms of the running back being aligned up behind the quarterback, just a lot of shotgun. You're going to see jet sweeps. You're going to see bubble screens. You're going to see tunnel screens. You're just going to see a lot of things out of 11 personnel because that's what Chiraca wants to do. He wants to spread the field so that teams cannot overload the box. And if they do decide to put, put eight in the box with only six blockers up front, that means you have one-on-one matchups on the outside. And he really wants to trust his receivers. He wants to trust that his quarterback can be accurate enough to put up a pretty good 50-50 ball for his receivers to go get it. But you're going to see a lot of spreading the field. I, I, you did see two tight ends at some point, And when you were getting into the red zone or the green zone or these third down situations, But I also say he's not afraid to adapt in terms of the wildcat. Minnesota had a player by the name of Seth Green these past couple of years that he wasn't afraid to go to in a wildcat kind of situation to where that's what his skill set was best suited for. Being a six foot five, 250 pound athlete that can really get these short yardage things. So he's not afraid to adapt, but he really wants to spread you out horizontally.
1: Probably good news for Will Levis. And you walked right into my trap. You said 98% uh, in the shotgun, 2% lower than Penn State has gone since Joe Moorhead got here in 2016. They've been 100% shotgun. Uh, so, yeah, you, you opened up a can of worms there. Uh, pe- people in Pennsylvania, some of them hold that near and dear to their heart going under center. So, this is something we should not expect, then, is what you're saying?
2: It's going to be shotgun all the time I, I'd be very surprised maybe 98% selling it a little bit too short it probably will be hundred percent unless something changes that's the way this offense operates and that's the way I see it uh, continuing to go with the nitty lines
1: and while we're on that any thoughts on fullbacks
2: that'd be a that's going to be a new one for me is you saw it at I'll say this you saw it a lot more in 2018 than you did in 2019. Minnesota did do some things with an H-back where you would have a tight end um, being a traditional Y, right, aligned with the right tackle, and then you would have an H-back right behind him. It's a little bit more difficult to kind of do with a fullback uh, in terms of going, you know, one guy running back on the left side of the quarterback, a fullback on the right side from what I've seen out of a Scirocco offense. But they had a kid by the name of Colton Beebe in 2018 who was just a mauler, and he was a really good lead blocker. And they didn't have that this past year. And that's where you saw him go away from that. But we have seen him use a fullback type as an H-back that will motion across the formation.
1: Fullback type, not a true fullback. Anyway, um, going back to that, um, people in Pennsylvania also want them to run the damn ball. It's been a hashtag. It's been something that, uh, you know, they, they leaned on pretty heavily. Uh, Kirk Shiraka runs the ball quite a bit. Um, what can you say about the running game?
2: Uh, Kirk Shiraka has said numerous times with the Minnesota media over the last three years that RTB, aka row the boat, doesn't mean that in his offense. It means run the ball. And he's not afraid to run the ball. I believe Minnesota runs the ball if they're, you know, moving the ball well. It's 60-65% clip. This is one of the most run-heavy offenses, I think, in the Big Ten, especially if they can get things going in that zone running game. So I can assure your listeners. Chiraca wants to run the ball. There were very few times this year where Minnesota passed the ball more than 30 times a game. It was very, 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 very limited. Now, that's what happens when you win 11 games in a given season is you're in a lot of positive game scripts. You get to be able to run the ball a lot, but you're going to see a lot of run. Again, I, your listeners should know I, you're going to see, you're see a lot of running, whether it's jet sweeps, inside zone, outside zone. But those last two are the bread and butters, the inside zone and the outside zone. Sharaka is going to lean on that heavy. This is going to be an offense that's going to run the ball in an ideal scenario, 40 plus times a game. And I'll also say this, Chirac wants to have two, three running backs rotate in. He wants to be able to make sure that he can keep these guys healthy throughout an entire game. So I wouldn't expect you to see a running back get more than 20, 23 touches in a game because he wants to keep them fresh throughout an entire season but we'll see what he decides to do at Penn State.
1: So if you're listening and you're, you're really taking in what Ryan has to say, a ton of similarities between what Penn State has wanted to do over the last uh, couple of seasons and what they're going to do. So the changes won't be that big. We touched on it a little bit before. Him as a recruiter, Penn State kind of uses their coordinators in a different way. Now Brent Pry has some of his areas, Ricky Ronnie has had some of his areas, but for the most part, just an overall offensive recruiter, overall defensive recruiter is kind of coming in and close and doing the thing, uh, doing that kind of thing. What does Kirk Sherrock do when he gets into a living room? I mean, what, is is this a guy that you look to as a recruiter? Is this a guy that you look to as sort of uh, maybe an icing on top type guy?
2: I would say Sherrock, he is not. A uh, big guy and showing a ton of emotion. And, and now he'll joke around with you, certainly, but his recruiting prowess was limited only to quarterbacks. And where Minnesota didn't take a 2020 quarterback, so he wasn't out on the road a ton. He doesn't have a specific area. He would only travel around the country to see specific quarterbacks. And Minnesota's already got a 2021 four star quarterback from the state of Illinois and Ethan Kaliikmanis that has been committed since the spring of 2019. So I wouldn't expect. Again, I don't expect Kirk Scirocco to be a dynamic recruiter. Now, he can talk X's and O's with you. He can talk with you on the visit. But he is a guy on the recruiting trail that at Minnesota was not asked to do a lot. Um, So we'll see if that changes any at Penn State.
3: He
1: has come from working from PJ Fleck. He's going to go work for James Franklin. You got to admit, uh, imagine that—that's uh, you know a similar outlook. But w- what do you think of this hire in general? I mean, just a, a lot of people on uh, in, in the national media seem to think you know really good X's and O's guys, really good football guy, uh, really good hire. From your vantage point, I mean, does, does Kirk Sherrocko fit um, the profile of a guy that James Franklin's hiring to to go try and win a national championship?
2: I think if Kirk Scirocco can get his offense executing well within the next couple of years, you're going to see an offense, especially with the caliber of athletes that Penn State can get in there. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be a lot of points. And you're going to see an offense that is going to be able to move the ball consistently because he was able to do that once Minnesota had the right pieces. I've heard numerous college coaches tell me that Kirk Scirocco is the godfather of the RPO. It's a system he is incredibly comfortable with. He knows the counters of how if someone's going to try to sit inside on you on the slant, well, then you hit him with a slant and go. I saw Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson both score long touchdowns on different easy easy things like that to where you can adjust to that. And I think that if Chiraca can get that offense moving like Minnesota was able to get it moving in year three this year, this is an offense that can certainly put up 30-plus points a game and especially with the kind of guys that they have on defense for Penn State, I think that's going to win you a lot of ball games. But I, I love the hire for Penn State. Chiraca is a is a great human being. I think he's a very, very good coach. He's one of the smartest offensive minds I've talked to in, in a very long time. He knows his system in and out, and I know that him being a Pennsylvania guy, this job means a ton to him. This is the big reason why he ended up taking the job was He's from, I believe, 90 minutes southeast of Pappy Valley. His family grew up Penn State fans. He grew up a Penn State fan. His family's from out there. His kids in college are on the East Coast. This means a lot to him. And especially when you get your dream job, you want to prove to everybody that it's worth it, that I was the right pick. And I know that Chirac has got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to try to prove that he was the right hire for James Franklin. So I do think this is a kind of offense that if it can get implemented and if everybody can understand their roles, you're going to see a lot of points on the board in Happy Valley.
1: That's Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrator. Ryan, thanks for joining us. I'm sure you're uh, happy to be back in Minnesota. I'm sure you got a sunburn from uh, your time in Tampa, but we appreciate the time that you took for us once again. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to, t- to touch base again. But Ryan, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Appreciate it. Good stuff there from Ryan Burns. Second time he's been on the podcast. Obviously, he's uh, he's done a great job both times. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. He had plenty of things to say about Kirk Sciarocca and the potential impact that he could have at Penn State. Moving on to recruiting, not a ton this year, or not a. Ton this time of year, it is a dead period, so no visitors, no visits, no any of that stuff. But it is all American season. Penn State sent three guys to the Under Armour All American Bowl: tight end Theo Johnson, cornerback/safety slash Enzo Jennings, and linebacker Curtis Jacobs. Um, some impressive things from those guys early in the week, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the risk comes into play with these All American games. Theo Johnson going out on a one-on-one against Jordan tolls an LSU commit from Baltimore gets his uh shoulder yanked looks like he pulled it out um he went down in a lot of pain but you know he wanted to play on Thursday night seems like everything's okay so i think the biggest thing to take away from that is doesn't seem to be a long term injury it's something that you know he gets to penn state they'll check out uh they'll see if he has to rehab the 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 rotator cuff or anything like that but it seems like uh crisis avoided with theo johnson
0: yeah, hopefully for him, just a scare, and, and certainly hopefully for the Penn State staff as they want to uh, get him acclimated and, and, and underway with, with you know his college career very soon. And uh, the good news is, you know, you get to a college campus and, and you have a lot of amenities in terms of uh, a medical staff and what they're able to do with you and rehabilitation and all that stuff. So that, that makes a big difference as opposed to him not being able to get to campus until, say, June. Um, so a silver lining there and also the fact that, you know, he was not, Uh, in any kind of medical gear uh, when he resurfaced the following day. So certainly wish him a speedy recovery. When you look ahead a little bit here, Sean, 2021 class, Caleb Williams uh, again in the spotlight and again drawing praise from a bunch of our 24-7 sports recruiting analysts who are down there. And uh, again, he seems to be further hammering home the point that he's the number one guy in this class.
1: Yeah, uh finally people were coming around to him being the best quarterback in the country it was something I've been saying for a long time. This kid's uh phenomenal. He was a top performer uh by twenty four seven sports at the UA Future fifty, which is, you know, kind of the premier camp uh in terms of uh getting talent together in the junior class. But yeah, I mean he's uh He's a good one, and it's going to be interesting because, uh, Brock Brandegriff, uh, the Oklahoma commit in the 2021 class, decommitted. You know, he looks to be headed to Georgia. Maybe that takes Georgia out of play. Maybe that brings Oklahoma back into play. Caleb Williams says, uh, you know, he's going to let the, the, the dust settle among coaches and coordinators and all that kind of stuff. Take some officials, maybe decide, uh, in the summer. You know, I, I, I hesitate to say that that's good for Penn State because you're not going to be able to show the product before um but then again when you take a look at quarterbacks I mean, that's actually a fairly late decision for a quarterback when you're talking dominoes so you know I think there's good and bad to it I still don't think I still think Penn State's playing catch up here um I think the good thing with with bringing in Kirk Shiraka, you give yourself another opportunity whether it be in, in January or after the dead period in, in February to get Caleb Williams back onto campus to make another pitch to see what uh, see if he gels with the new offensive coordinator and and see if he fits in the new offense I still think he's headed elsewhere but you know Penn State's still in this one among probably five to seven other schools
0: and they've taken a, a very calculated approach, him and his family, to this recruitment, doing it very much on their own terms, and and that's how you often see the top quarterbacks handle it. It's just a different process at that position. And uh, coming off of, of their most recent trip to to campus, which was the first weekend of December, I believe, um, his father told twenty four seven sports that you know the elephant in the room was that th- there was starting to be some rumors swirling about uh, Ricky Ronnie maybe taking that ODU job, and, and within twenty four to forty eight hours or whatever it was, uh, you know th- those were confirmed, and he and he was gone. So uh, yeah. That's that's that definitely is a different dynamic and again Kirk Chiraca has that nice track record he, he talked about it during his first interview with Penn State uh that they put out there about what he can point to and and the evidence he has in developing quarterbacks and that that's huge you know said before when you went out to make this hire very important to find somebody who who can point to, to names and, and point to to, to, got, to quarterbacks they've made better, or quarterbacks they've helped get to the NFL because uh, that that is huge. That kind of track record and and, and they they have that right now with Kirk Charaka and that should be able to, to help them a bit with some of these quarterbacks. Uh, another name that we mentioned, Landon Tengwall, uh, a big one in twenty twenty one. He he was down there as well as we said. Uh, he's got a top three. It sounds like he he's just about ready to to turn his attention towards official visits. He said he may he told Brian. Ryan he may take another official visit to, to some of, to his top three. He mentioned that Notre Dame is is quite hard to get to, um, and then you know official visits, and and you know he, he seems like a guy who I think once those official visits are behind him, he'll be he'll be ready to make a move. I'd imagine.
1: Well, there's one school in that top three that's easy to get to, and he's been up to Penn State several times. I still like where Penn State stands with Tangwall. I mean, I I don't think it's a matter of of when rather than if, but I mean. They got to feel pretty good about where they're standing, especially with Tyler Bowen doing his work there. Wall had a good uh, camp. He's, you know, he's a tackle or guard in, in the in the good sense of that word. I, I think that he can play guard and be a really good one. I also think that he can play tackle. So, um, really interested to see, uh, you know, how he stood up against the nation's top pass rushers. Did a pretty good job. And he's also, uh, you know, from a from a different standpoint, he's a vocal kid. He's a guy that's very visible out there. I think he can be a recruiter if you get him on board early. I think he can be a centerpiece to your class and be a recruiter, whereas I'm not sure that, uh, you know, Nolan Rucci... Uh, is that personality. So uh, Tengwall is a guy that you certainly want in your class sooner rather than later, because I think he can, he can bring sort of a domino effect. He can bring a lot to your class that, you know, just, just some some guys don't. So uh, really uh, pleased to see with his performance. Two guys from Virginia, Tony Grimes, the five-star cornerback that was up in December, and Trevion Henderson, the running back from uh, uh, from the Richmond area that uh, was up in November, I believe, for a game. Two really good performances by those games. Those guys are just, you look at the videos. Just their feet are on another level. It's it's insane to watch. Um, Tony Grimes is is a long corner. He's maybe six foot six, close to six one, Uh, but also he's got a tremendous backpedal. He's got great feet. Change of direction, all that kind of stuff. And Trevion Henderson, man, uh, I continue to beat the drum for this kid. We have him ranked too low, uh, I think in the in the low two hundreds. I think he's a top one hundred player. Um, he's he's another guy. He's like Tony Grimes. I mean, he's got legit size. I mean, he's bigger than I thought he would be. Five ten, you know, maybe five ten and a half, five eleven, one ninety. Um, uh, but man, his feet are something. He just gets going, hips are great, all this kind of stuff. So Trevion Henderson, while you don't really get much out of running backs in this situation, this scenario, really had a good camp.
0: Yeah, and Grimes, you mentioned about six foot, but that doesn't tell a story. This is a long-limbed athlete, a kid, uh, kind of in that Joseph Johnson in terms of, uh, you know, he can cover a lot of real estate with, with that you know with, with, his, with his wingspan, and that's obviously a huge thing to be able to do in pass coverage, and he's the number one cornerback as of right now in those composite rankings as we look. Going back to something you said as we started this recruiting segment, you said, you know, this time of year, not much to talk about. It's amazing how much things have changed that we're having. We're first week of January and saying, well, you know, the recruiting cycle is pretty much cashed in and, you know, Penn State's got their guys. And, and I saw an interesting stat tweeted from 24-7 Sports earlier this week, Sean, in the third year of the early signing period, 88.6% of committed prospects signed and 76.8% of the entire 2020 class signed. And as we said, now it's a numbers game for a lot of schools. Guys are going to get their offers. And to this point, still not a lot of noise on, on Penn State if they have an inkling of of pursuing more prospects. As we said, they obviously have a target board. They have relationships in place. But uh, as we are now uh, about a month away from the February 5th traditional signing day, You know, the signing day is the first day of that signing period and and Penn State got 27 guys on board. So, again, it's just strange that that we're in January and and we're very quickly talking about the guys who are going to be signing, you know, still have their senior years ahead of them next fall. They're halfway through junior year.
1: Yeah, I'm doing this decommitment tracker right now on the site and I I'm seeing guys that decommitted in uh you know on January 25th just before signing day. I'm like, well, that's a shame I don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> so, um it's been uh it, it's been a positive change from our mindset. Uh of course, with the coaching changes, you know, it kind of throws everybody for a loop that's that's actually involved in the situation, the players and the families and the coaches and everything like that but still at the same time it's it's nice to not have to do this extra six weeks of of will they or won't they a lot of these guys that were down at the all-american games uh the seniors already signed so um not much movement on that end from penn state's perspective they're going to go back you know they're going to reset the deck and see what's out there i don't know that there's anybody that jumps out to me in 2020 um that that, that makes it uh, to an official visit that makes it to an offer and and, and to that process so we'll see what happens 27 commits has a lot of commits and then when you take into account the transfer portal guys that will count against you in terms of initial counters uh like i said it all comes back to math. The math is a little gray. I mean, it's not, it's not a set number. It is a set number, but the math's a little gray with how Penn state or or how these schools will be able to count back and, and and do things that, uh, sort of fudge the numbers for, for lack of a better term. Um, so you don't know how many spots they actually have, but you got to save some for, for transfers. We saw the impact they had on the college game. We saw the impact they had on the college football playoff this year. So it's, uh, it's a numbers game, and Penn State's going to go into January, you know, feeling pretty solid about where they stand for this current cycle.
0: We, you just talked about uh, Travion Henderson being a big-time running back target for this team in the 2021 class, uh, their their marketing ability at that position, uh, beyond J1 Sider, who has, who has done a great job recruiting wherever he has been in college football, but here at Penn State for the second consecutive year, the... Leading total yardage uh, among all NFL rookies was produced by a Penn State uh, alum, and, and it's, it's Miles Sanders this time around. Last year, Saquon Barkley went for over 2,000. Uh, Sanders got it done on the ground uh, this year, 818 rushing yards, 509 receiving yards on 50 catches, six total touchdowns. Uh, 1600 all-purpose yards uh, factoring in his kick returns but in terms of offensive production rushing receiving uh, he ends up edging out uh, Jacobs uh, of the Oakland Raiders and and he'll you know if he's healthy it sounds like he's a day-to-day situation he may be able to make his playoff debut coming off of that and, and as we said last episode uh, he finds himself very much in the rookie of the year mix and uh, J1 Sider and, and James Franklin and, and Kirk Sciarocca and and you know the graphics department at Penn State uh they They can have a field day with this as much as they want because uh it is a tremendous situation for them to be able to point to
1: yeah, and he's not in the top fifty rookies among pro football focus <laughs> <that>. ratings which <laughs> I, I, I don't know man it's it's one thing to be you know uh i'm a you know i 'm a uh, a beer guy so I, I like to drink the the good stuff and I like to talk about beer and all that kind of stuff but i'm i I'm not above you know Saying, "Hey, this beer sells more than anything." You know, it might be okay. So it, it's just Pro Football Focus is so far out there with this. Hey, this is how we do things. This is uh, Miles Sanders does things in a different way. So he's not as good as you think he is. And you know what? Numbers are numbers. They, they they can be skewed in any which direction. But to lead all NFL rookies in total yards and not be in the top fifty, what are we doing here, man? I mean, what what, what do these ratings say? So. I, I don't know. Uh, a lot of pressure on Nick Fury next year. Um, I don't know that he's going to equal Saquon and Miles, but you know the, the the way that they're churning him out, maybe he's got a shot.
0: Yeah, I, I I I hope that was just a mistake, not getting him on the list. I don't know if the the author defended that list or not with Miles Sanders, but. I did see Miles retweeted it, so I'm sure it got some traction, and uh, I know Penn State fans are, are are aware of it on on the Twitterverse as well. Uh, one other quick note from uh, from the Penn State backfield: Trace McSorley gets his first appearance. Lamar Jackson uh, took a seat in the finale against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ravens had uh, the top seed in the AFC locked up. Trace got in for one play, started out at wide receiver, uh, went went in motion, joined Trace McSorley, uh, joined Robert Griffin III in the backfield, ended up getting the snap and went for one yard and. And one first down. So, uh, welcome to the NFL officially. He's been collecting paychecks now uh, f- for several months in the NFL, but his first opportunity to get in the game. And, and I was thinking, you know, he's going to take the back seat again now. He probably won't be active unless something happens injury wise to either RG3 or Lamar Jackson, but he's got as good a shot as anybody right now in the league. To, to maybe go and get himself a Super Bowl ring. I mean, they're, they're a hell of a team. They've got 12 straight wins, and he's been a part of the ride in one way or the other. Obviously, much of it behind the scenes, but very cool to see Trace McSorley get that opportunity. Saw him do some nice things in the preseason, uh, and, and they're showing off kind of uh, his versatility, which is what we heard a lot from the Ravens staff this summer, uh, lining up at wide receiver, ending up in the backfield, and then and doing some running. Has not thrown a pass yet, but uh, has, has logged a stat in the NFL, and it was a first down.
1: Yeah. And uh, on the other coast, Kevin Givens got, got the call up from the practice squad uh, to the, the 49ers active roster. So that's cool. I mean, I know people are probably, you know, wish they could have had Kevin Givens for another year, but good to see he stuck around with the team for an entire year. And then he gets to to the active roster for, for a pretty darn good team who just signed Anthony Zettel last week as well. So um, that's uh, that's pretty cool to see. He'll be going to the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the development of Penn State's NFL players this year. I mean, I, we knew Allen Robinson was really good. We knew that Chris Godwin was really good, but you're you're now talking two probably top 10 receivers, top 15 receivers in the league. Um, Miles Sanders, and of course, Saquon Barkley, even with that line that Saquon's running behind. Uh, how about him just taking off and waving goodbye at the 50? Um, special <laughs> yeah. player, obviously. So a lot, uh, Penn State's got a lot going for it, especially you know, skill guys, um, which you know hasn't always been the case with Penn State.
0: And I would be... Very ashamed of myself if I didn't point out Mr. South Jersey, Mike Kosicki, getting it done, beating the Patriots on the road with a touchdown, part of the Fitz magic, uh with Miami. They finished strong. They went 5-4 and four down the stretch, and Mike was a big part of that. Last couple of games, he had 19 total targets in those last two games, three touchdowns. So after a, after a quiet first year and a half of his career, Mike Kosicki really showing what he can do and, and becoming more of a force for the Miami Dolphins, who all of a sudden look like maybe an ascending team. Uh, who saw that coming?
1: And a force for the Chiefs apparently, who uh, was really grateful for his yeah. uh, his his heroics there in the game. So no, it's been it's been interesting to watch those Dolphins. Uh, Brian Flores has done a heck of a job down there, um, but uh, Gasicki has come on come into his own, and you know it's just another guy that you can throw up on the board and say, hey, we've got some production uh, at, at different spots in the NFL.
0: We'll keep tabs on those players as, as the NFL playoffs get underway this year. As we said, K.J. Hamler will be joining them in the league next year, along with Detour Gross Matos. We'll keep you posted on lines 24-7 with Shaka Tony, and, of course, the latest on the search for a new offensive line coach. Uh, pretty long show today, Sean, considering uh, what's going on around town. Um, thanks to Ryan for having us, uh, for, for joining us again. Any final parting shots before we t- before we hit the road?
1: No, I think I'm going to plug that audio in here, and this is going to be a longer episode than both of us expected. I know you're getting on the road, but, uh, yeah, can't wait for uh, some NFL playoff action this weekend. Uh, you know, the Redskins are done, so I guess my season's over. That's a, that's a shame, but they've got a new coach. They've got a new defensive coordinator, and it's apparently Thanksgiving in Washington, D.C., so it's great all around. Well, I'm heading to my first
0: 100th birthday party. My my wife's grandfather, Opa. Uh, big shout out to him. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but World was, War is, II is veteran, yeah. Holocaust survivor. Who knows? He's 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 on Netflix now, so I don't. Uh, who knows? But uh, shout out to him. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, to start off the new year, we'll be back next week with a fresh episode for the latest on Penn State football and recruiting. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Have a great weekend.